Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. We're so grateful that you found us. The JCBC Podcast is a collection of sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. Right now, we're in a new series. It's called How to Be Human. We hope if you're in town or close by, you'll stop in and join us 11 o'clock Sunday mornings. Until then, subscribe and follow along. If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians, we will read our text for the morning that intends to do something to us and through us. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Bear with one another... And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. This is the reading of the sacred and reliable and sometimes disturbing Word of God. Let's bow together in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, our hearts inspire and fill us with your holy fire. For if you are with us, then nothing else matters. But if you are not with us, then nothing else matters. Speak now, Lord, for your children are listening. Amen. So today marks the 13th part in an ongoing study that we're calling How to Be Human. And what we have attempted to do these many weeks is look at each and every kind of experience in our humanness, but through the lens of the truly human one, the one who came to reveal the way, the truth, the life to show us how to navigate experiences that we cannot avoid, but to look at them through a new kind of interpretive lens. What do you do when you fail? Is it over or is your failure simply the beginning of a new resurrected version of you? What about vulnerability? We looked at vulnerability and we considered the reality that becoming vulnerable in this very strong culture that we're in is sometimes seen as weakness. But what if vulnerability is not weakness, but is truly where divine strength is camouflaged? We've looked at grief and we've looked at anger. We've looked at fear. And last week, we started a conversation about something that touches all of us because Live long enough, sooner or later, someone somewhere, sometime is going to injure you, harm you, violate you, cross a boundary with you, and you will receive a wound that you will carry for a long time. And other days, it'll be you who does the inflicting, who crosses the boundary, who violates the other. And we started last week talking about the the experience of forgiveness. 
And the focus last week was more about what do you do when you know you've blown it? How do you go about knowing how to own it? You know, how do you own it after you've blown it? And we talked about taking initiative with the one you have wronged. And we refer you to that message last week if you missed it. It's critical in the beginning process of repairing a relationship. Today, I want to flip the direction around a little bit. Today, I want to focus more specifically on what may be the hardest. Forgiving others. Forgiving others. Listen, I'm disappointed to tell you this, but as much as I tried, I could not prevail, and both Will Smith and Chris Rock refused to join me here on the platform to work out some things. You know, you try to make a difference, and, you know, and yet, you know, they got to want to help, you know. And we've got to want the, the, the help. So I, but, but I think about that episode last week in this way. We can't get away from it. It's everywhere that you turn. It's on every television report. It's on your phone. It's on your devices. It's on social media platforms. It's in the newspaper. Everywhere you turn this past week, you see replayed again and again the slap, the Oscars. And, and it serves for me as a kind of living parable. Can we just go there for just a moment? Because the truth is there is someone, I promise you, someone gathered here today in this hour and something has happened to you and you just can't get away from it no matter where you turn i mean they they cheated and and the storyline of the family that you thought you were developing and writing in this family plot over the last several decades now has come unraveled and there's nothing that you can do about it She told a lie to them about you and they believed her, took her side, and walked away from you. He was a good business partner and, and you had a business plan and it was going to be great, but then he left and that's not the worst part. He left and he took with him your best clients. And, and the ship is taken on water and you don't know if you can hold this thing together. And everywhere that you turn, Every time their name is spoken, every time that you hear their voice, every time you read about them, or you pass by the place where the thing went down, you are triggered. And you relive again and again as if your soul is being slapped again and again. And no matter what you do, you can't seem to get away from it. And you know, you know what the Bible says about it. You know that forgiveness is your only pathway to freedom. I mean, you know already that Jesus, the dominant story in the teachings of Jesus is about forgiveness and living free from the power of the pain that you've either caused or that has been inflicted upon you. And you know that we are to forgive others as we have been forgiven. You know all that. But it doesn't change the fact that Forgiving is the last thing you want to do. And maybe it's not that you don't want to do it. Maybe you want to do it, but you don't know how, and you feel a little bit like Sarah Montana. Sarah Montana tells the story of her teenage brother. She was about 20, 21, and this neighborhood kid 
who grew up with them, came into their house all the time, raided their refrigerator, was a part of the family. He was a broken story unfolding. And they tried to be kind to him. He's going through a hard time. Let's just be kind to him. And one day, a couple days before Christmas, he, he broke into their home. This neighbor, this kid, broke into their home to steal some things in order to sell for cash. And he was startled to find Sarah's little brother asleep on the couch, and he panicked and he shot him. And then he fled the scene. He left, only he forgot he left his coat. So he went back and he found Sarah's mother standing now over her son, screaming. And in his words, I shot her because she wouldn't stop screaming. And now Sarah has lost her entire family. And she goes on this journey to try to forgive. And she's turning to every resource, especially in her faith. And her husband comes home one day to find her walking frenetically back and forth across the living room. Bibles open everywhere. And she says to him, do you know that the Bible commands us to forgive 62 times? And in 27 different places, the word forgiveness is used. And yet not in one place does it tell me how to do it. It's as if it's the greatest thing ever, but it's like it's like the, like the Nike, the Nike of spiritual gifts. Just do it. Maybe you feel like that. You know, you, you know that the pathway to it is through forgiveness. But how do you how do you take a step in that direction when every bone in your body is pulling you back the other direction? Maybe this. Something has to die. Something has to die. That's what Joe Reynolds, he says, in order for forgiveness to happen, something has to die. And I think that he's spot on. Do you know why? Because more than anything else that we want, I mean, we may articulate that we want a few things. We want them to pay. We want revenge. We want satisfaction. We want justice. All those things are fine. But above everything else, do you know what we want the most? What we want is to go to bed at night without this in our minds. What you want the most is to wake up the next morning and it not occupy the very first energy of your new day. You want freedom. Freedom. A freedom that you and I as Christians call resurrection. It's resurrection that you want, a kind of freedom. Because think about the prayers that you pray or the groans that you groan when you have no words to pray. It's as if to say, Lord, get me out of this miry clay because my feet can't move in their direction. Or, or you say, Lord, get me out of this pit that has seemed to swallow me up. I can't get away from this pain. It's resurrection that you're wanting, see? It's resurrection. But listen to me, Christian. You cannot have resurrection until something first dies. There is resurrection power in forgiveness, but you cannot have power like resurrection without first something dying. What is it that must die in you in order to experience the resurrecting power of forgiveness? What is it that must die in order for you to experience the resurrecting power of forgiveness? Now, it may be many things. It may be that an attitude has to die, a regret has to die, a desire for revenge has to die. It may be a number of things, but I want to suggest there are two or three myths and one or two 
hidden desires that have to die in order for you to be free to experience the power of resurrection through forgiveness. For example, maybe for you, one of the myths that needs to die is this one, that forgiving you means I'm okay with what you did. We sometimes believe that and we stay trapped in unforgiveness because we assume, and I know, <laughs> it feels as if if I forgive you or begin the process of forgiving you, it's going to send a signal to the world like I'm somehow okay with the thing that you did and I'm not okay with the thing that you did. You were wrong. And I was hurt. And what you did is very much not okay and it may feel as if the world around you looks at you like a fool. It may feel like I'm just frosting the cake and sweeping it under the rug so I just stay in my unforgiveness when in reality I'm not forgiving in order to just move on. I'm not forgiving you simply to sweep it under the rug or just make sure that you feel fine with me and everything's fine the world thinks everything's fine we just don't ever talk about it again. No, I am forgiving you so that I don't stay incarcerated in the prison of my pain. Sometimes forgiveness is not even about the other person. Sometimes forgiveness is about liberating yourself from the prison of your pain. That's what Lewis Meads says. He says, forgiveness is setting someone free and then discovering the prisoner was you. And what if part of what has to die in you is this assumption, this myth, that if I start down this road of forgiveness, it's going to look like I'm okay with it? Well, no. It doesn't have to, but you'll be free. Or maybe something else needs to die. Maybe it's not that myth. Maybe it's a different myth that needs to die in you. The myth that I can't forgive until they own up to what they did. That's a big one. Are you asking me to forgive when I, I can't until they know what they did cause damage and and i can't forgive until they own it until they at least apologize tell me they recognize what they've done and the truth is what if what if it never happens next week we're spending the whole sermon talking about this one thing what happens when the i'm sorry never comes because sometimes there are those who can't and there are sometimes when there are those who won't sometimes you, they can't because they died what then sometimes they won't because they either can't see the way you see or they refuse to so do you remain incarcerated in the prison of your pain simply because you believe they have to own it when in reality they may never own it is that what has to die in you today or maybe if you think about what has to die in you, it's not necessarily that they have to come groveling because what if that never happens? It's like very much what we have said before. It's like you drinking the poison and expecting them to die. What if they've moved on and you're the only one suffering? Sometimes in order to experience the resurrection power of forgiveness, it means we must die to the myth that they're going to come. Like the dream that has to die in you. The, this, 
this fantasy that you see them come and crawl on their knees with the formula that I introduced last week. Surely one day they'll come and they'll say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, will you please forgive me? But if they don't, you're the only one who suffers. But maybe the greatest myth of all that we believe that we have to uh, let die and maybe even crucify is this one. The myth that I don't have it in me to forgive them. Do you know what that feels like? I don't have it in me. In other words, I just, I don't have, I don't have the, I'm not there yet. I can't, I don't feel as if I can forgive because I don't have like the raw material in me to give it to them. I feel nothing for them. This is where we remember that forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a decision. And that sounds cold and calculated, but trust me, sisters and brothers, forgiveness is not a feeling because sometimes the feelings will take days, weeks, months, years to catch up with the decision that you make to be free. See, forgiveness is not something that we conjure because we're just good little Christians. We're not that good. <laughs> we don't create forgiveness just out of the pit of our gut. We access it from a soul that has been saturated by God's forgiveness. See, we have received from God all the raw material we will ever need to forgive anyone who injures us. I love the way Dr. James Forbes talks about it. He, he says, you know, it's hard to just tell somebody, you've got to forgive them. It's, it's hard to do that as a command. You must forgive. I get it. Scripture says that. But that's hard. If you want to learn the process of forgiveness, you begin by going back to your earliest days and you ask yourself how many times you have stood in the need of forgiveness from God. He says, because I suspect that many of us have made withdrawals from the bank of grace many, many times. It's a bank account that never shows up with insufficient funds, right? It's a, we constantly tap that account again and again and again and and because god showers us i love the anthem we sang a moment ago or the, the hymn because we are showered by god's grace there is an ocean depth of forgiveness already in you available to access in the forgiveness of the one who has offended you listen to what the psalmist says in the 103rd psalm the lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love he will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, thanks be to God, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed or he removes our transgressions from us. Because God has already showered you with grace upon grace upon grace, you don't have to muster the forgiveness, the raw material needed to forgive the one who has sinned against you. You simply have to access it and become aware of how, how you and your own journey has been saturated by God's grace. First John puts it this way see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of god it makes no sense to me that we should be called children of god 
I have done everything that should disqualify me from being known as a child of God. Think about all of the not just overt, but covert sins and violations and transgressions that we have uh, brought to our Lord. The overt ones are clear. Never thought I could have done that. I don't know why I said that. Why did I email this message to them? And, and how did I, how do I ever get to the place where I never thought I would? And you can think about the overt sins that God has forgiven us time and time again. But it's the covert that slip under the radar, the covert patterns of sins that are in us all the time, our, our sense of pride that our families have to deal with, <laughs> deceit, our, our sense of envy or jealousy that I don't have enough, I can't be content, and I'm insecure with what God has given me, so I want more and more and more and more, and I lust for power and material and control, and, and then I, I can't get it, so then I get all, all worked up, and my wrath, my anger just explodes on the people I love the most. Think of all those covert patterns of sin that God forgives every day of our lives. When you think about that, well, then you have all the raw material you need to crucify this myth that I don't have it in me to forgive them. The best example of this is in the life of Corey Tinboom. You may know that name and may know her story. She and her family lived in Holland during the Second World War, and she, during the Holocaust, her family would hide Jewish families to keep them safe. When they were found out, they were arrested, and they were, they were placed in a, in a concentration camp, an extermination camp, and, and her sister Betsy died in that camp. She saw firsthand all the atrocities that you and I now know about. And after the war... She went back to Holland and began to teach and preach the message of forgiveness. She went to Germany one day and was teaching on the power of forgiveness to that broken nation filled with shame and guilt over what had transpired right under their noses. And she spoke of forgiveness as this great sea. She's from Holland, and so she used the imagery of the sea surrounding a deep, deep sea. This is where God puts your sin, in the bottom of a deep sea where it is no more. And she's speaking to this crowd, and at the back of the, the room, she, stands, she sees standing there a shadowy figure, and as the, the people dismiss, he walks the other way toward her. He gets about halfway down, and she realizes who he is. He's the prison guard who oversaw her prison experience there at Ravensbrook. And he came to her, and she trembled. She felt <laughs> quaking within her every emotion that she had fought so hard to overcome those many years. She said, my blood froze in me. It's as if the soul was being slapped once more. He stuck out his hand. He says, good message. And he told the story of just after the war, how he had come to Christ, that he had converted, he had repented of his sins, and that he hopes that God has forgiven him. And says, how about you, Fraulein? Will you forgive me? And this is what she said. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. 
But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. But you supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then the healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried. I forgive you with my whole heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did in that moment. When He tells us to love our enemies, He also gives, along with that command, the love itself. And I heard the Apostle Paul say these words, My God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory by Jesus Christ. Every need that you have to find in some reservoir of forgiveness where you don't know where you put it, you don't know how to find it, my God will supply all of your needs. The need of forgiveness in the moment when you need to give it, it will not be your forgiveness. It will be God's forgiveness moving to you and through you to the other and that's how we forgive others as we have been forgiven. And for somebody here, it might be that what has to die is the myth that I don't have it in me to forgive because you do. You do. But it may not be myths at all that are keeping you from the resurrection power of forgiveness. It might be a couple of, I don't know, desires like this one, your desire to make them pay. Can we talk about that for a moment? Because here's a disclaimer. Forgiveness doesn't mean that they can't take responsibility for what they did. Forgiveness does not mean they're completely off the hook. Sometimes there are consequences to their actions. Sometimes justice must continue to prevail. Forgiveness is not an absence of justice. Forgiveness is the absence of your desire to make them hurt the way you hurt. And I know what it feels like to want them to hurt the way you hurt. I know. Because sometimes if you've been hurt significantly enough, that's all you got left, isn't it? I mean, it's all you have left. You've robbed me of every dignity that I have. And the only thing I have left is to keep a little bit cold to you at dinner and to not return your phone calls when you've called me two, three, four times because I'm looking for some kind of power. I'm, lo I'm looking for some kind of control in a world where I feel like I've lost all my control. I get it. I get it. Sometimes what needs to die is our desire for them to hurt the way that you are hurting because it's not your job to repay them 
In Romans 12, we hear these words of admonition. Beloved, 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 never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Maybe what needs to die today is a desire to make them hurt the way that you hurt. To leave room for God to do God's job. Are you thankful like I am that at the great getting up morning, <laughs> when I stand before Him, aren't you glad that it's God who does the judging and not everybody you offended in your life? Yeah. God's good at God's job. So leave Him alone. Yeah. But maybe what needs to die is not a desire for them to hurt the way you hurt, maybe this is what needs to die. Your hope for a better past. That's what Lily Tomlin said. Forgiveness is about giving up the hope of a better past because what can you do about your past? Nothing. It happened. She left. He stole from you. They lied about you. And no matter what you do to wish it differently, I wish I could have been there different. I wish I would have responded different. If only I could have prevented the environment that caused the thing that happened. But guess what? It's done. And maybe the one thing that needs to die is your illusion that you can somehow change the past. Maybe what needs to die is the illusion that the person who hurt you is somehow not human. You had hoped that they could never hurt you. You had hoped that they would, not them, maybe other people, but not her, not him, but maybe what needs to die is the illusion that you thought they were superhuman. And maybe what needs to die is the illusion that you think you are. Maybe the hardest person to forgive in all the world is the person you see in the mirror. But do you remember that, that big sea of grace I talked about a moment ago? A sea that is put there by God who rains grace upon both the just and the unjust. That sea of grace is available for you too. To be forgiven. So forgive yourself. So if we are able to identify the thing that needs to die, an attitude, a desire for revenge, some kind of, some kind of regret, whatever it is that needs to die, an image of what you thought the family would look like by now, a dream that you thought your career would look like by now, if we find the courage to let die the thing that needs to die, well, then we are free to do what? To grieve. To grieve and grieve all the way down to the pit. Remember the grief sermon where I said there are stages. So once you identify the thing that needs to be, that needs to die, then you can grieve. You can be shocked that the whole thing happened. You can be in denial a little bit that I can't believe this is actually my story now. You can be angry and hang on to the anger for a minute. Now, Jesus says don't hold on to it forever. But you know what I heard recently? When you are wounded and you have a gaping wound and it's open and exposed and still vulnerable, sometimes anger is the heat that cauterizes the wound into a scar. So be angry for a minute. 
and allow the scar. See, scars are what you can point to after resurrection to prove that you didn't stay in the tomb. If you can let the thing die, then you can grieve it. And then when you grieve the thing that must die, you can bury it. And forgiveness is the shovel that digs the hole to bury the thing that has died. Forgiveness is the shovel that digs the hole to bury what has died. And you bury it, you dig deep, you cover it up, you put a flower at the head of it. Because Christian, remember, nothing that you ever bury with Jesus tends to stay dead long. There is resurrection ahead. And your family will have a resurrected story. Your relationship will have a resurrection story. You will experience a kind of fullness of life. I came that they may have life and have it to the fullest that you never would have experienced had something not died, been buried with the shovel of forgiveness, and raised up by God to new life. Yeah, this is the good news.